We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, May 25th. John McKechnie, Mario Puig, back in the saddle, hanging out with you. Today, we're going to be talking some best ball ADP reactions and some guys that we are identifying as potential risers over the summer. So get them now before they get expensive later in draft season. A lot to get to. Let's get it started. on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast presented by our friends over at Circa and the Circa Resort out in Las Vegas. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined by Mario Puig, back from a two-week hiatus. Parts unknown. How we doing, man? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you, John? I'm doing well. Uh, went out to the Atlanta Braves game last night. Uh, they beat the Dodgers and uh, got home in the Orioles came back and beat the Yankees. So it's just John's world, folks. It, it is. You're you're all just living in it. So well, the uh the wind is in my sails. Uh no, no doubt about it. Um but and uh, all that good news about Al uh or Todd Munkin um uh with the Ravens. It's just uh you're swimming in it. I know. I mean, do you do you want to unpack that for a second? I mean, obviously well, it's just uh, a couple of days of OTA, but Yeah, I uh so for what it's worth, it's not it's good to see that Lamar was saying all that stuff about how this, you know, this is awesome, but it's not because he's saying that, that I was all along super hyped about the, the Munkin hiring. I think that was literally the best hiring they could have realistically made. Like, yeah, uh, Mike McDaniel's a better play caller. Probably there's probably some other people who are better play callers, but in terms of someone who was actually available, uh, someone like Munkin shouldn't have been like Munkin probably should be uh, at the very least a head coach of some big, uh, college program and i think he's clearly a better coach than some head coaches right now like someone you know probably upwards of like 10 or 12 coaches in the nfl who are running teams that i would without even hesitating i would take Munkin over them so uh it was with that said good to see lamar saying you know some specific things about what was different and uh the one quote that i saw i guess was just the one where he said uh basically Munkin is giving him more discretion and specifically pre-snap stuff he's he's getting um more more uh more authority i guess you'd say to make changes his own calls based on what he sees what he's what his intuition says and uh i think that checks out because uh, among 
a lot of things that I could criticize about Greg Roman's offense. One thing that uh, maybe the the thing that drove me the most insane, even aside from like the aesthetic concerns and just the general, <laughs> you know, goals of it. I hated how it was so predictable. I hate that when teams have tendencies that they don't care to, um, you know, cloak at all. Like you, you need to make deception. You, you need to make deception a part of your, your, your basic protocol because you, you, you can't just, uh, or it's negligent anyway to just have a scheme that's like, go beat the guy ahead of you. That's, that's just a stupid way to handle things. And, and other teams, better teams than you are going to take greater, uh, you know, they're going to have more ambitions about setting up their players to succeed. So um, I hate it when teams are, are predictable, uh, almost regardless of what their method is. Uh, it certainly didn't help that Roman's general methods were also dubious. Um, but Munkin, I think, understands uh, in, not to not to compare the two, uh, but the way Kyle Shanahan is probably the best and maybe Mike McDaniel uh, at the best at uh, kind of understanding play sequencing. Roman is the opposite of that. He he like he can't he he can't really imagine a sequence or like maybe he's kind of guessing. He's like trying maybe to think of this might be tough to, you know, stop if these kinds of plays if I run them, but he doesn't have any sense a good enough sense of what he's actually doing to to anticipate especially the adjustments by the defense in response to what he's showing whereas Munkin I think has more of like a dynamic understanding of the game which is largely to say to a more pragmatic understanding. Uh, like Munkin has a history of going pass happy, but I don't think that's because, or I don't think that's because he needs to. I think it's because he had tools at the time. Right. You know, he players. adapts to, to what's there. Um, like he, he did a, yeah. a great job of that at, at Georgia. Circling back to, to the Roman thing for a second, I, I think there would be times like, I think especially last year, um, where he kind of knew that, that his seat was hot. Um, the, the Tampa Bay game, the, the Thursday night game, uh, co- comes to mind where the Ravens came out and I believe that they, they threw it like 33 times or something. So I, I think he had heard like the, uh, the Ravens, you, you guys need to throw more. And he's like, okay, yeah. And it, it was like a miserable stat line for, from Lamar because it was just like, it was so predictable all of a sudden. And then they go a little bit more ground heavy in the second half. And, you know, he kind of takes that as his justification, like, see what happens when we throw too much. We got to just only run it, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, it worked out in that one instance. But, you know, in like the general takeaway for, from that being that he's like, just there's no pragmatism, like mm-hmm. you were saying, like he's just, OK, we're going to throw it. Oh, you want me to throw it? We're going to we're just going to throw it 30 times in, in a half. It's like the the offense isn't built for that either. Like, f- find some sort right. of nuance here, man. Like, it, it doesn't have to be like so, you know, black or white with it. Yeah, and I don't doubt that Roman sort of needed to go with his jumbo personnel obsession in the run game on the basis of results. Like, I, but that's only to say, it, it's only because he has no idea how to con- uh, conduct a passing game. So it's like, yeah, for you, Greg Roman, maybe the best offensive approach is to uh, have this super low ambition kind of approach, but it's only because you're incompetent and shouldn't have the job and like someone else can do better than that. You know, so in this case, Munkin. And um, I do think, though, that the Ravens will throw more. Uh, I think it'll be. um, I think it'll be done more effectively, like you're not going to see Patrick Ricard splitting out into the slot that those days are gone. But uh, it's not just that. Uh, I think he's going to. Uh, it, it goes along with the pre-snap stuff a little bit. Like Lamar talking about, you know, they're creeping up to the line. They're showing me this. They're showing me that. And now I can do something in response to that. 
And I think it's going to be situationally kind of um, pending. Like they're not going to go out there and try to throw uh, nonstop if the defense is just putting five DBs on the field over and over. Like they're going to they're going to have dynamism, basically, which they never did under Roman. And uh, yeah, you hear you hear a lot of, uh, you know, philosophies and, and kind of uh, dogmas these days about how you need to run an offense, the one way to run an offense. And I definitely reject all of that. And I, I think the best play callers reject that. Like you ultimately need to take an approach that best suits your players and is most advantageous for the conditions. And if you, if you try to go into it thinking like we do this all the time, like that's, that's generally the wrong way to do it. It's good to have certain goals about like, we want to, you know, gas the defense. We want to accumulate field position, stuff like that. But if you believe there's a certain particular way to do it in each of those cases, you don't actually have any idea what you're doing. No, you you don't. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to the new leaf uh, being, being turned over. Uh, in Baltimore with, with Munkin, big fan of of his work yeah. uh, at the University of Georgia. Um, huge fan of. He's it, done really. a really good job at a lot of places by now. Yeah, no, he he has, and I think that um, you know, to to your point about like the the career arc, like he definitely could uh, be a head coach at, at a college program. I think he just loves X's and O's. Like I think he just loves designing an offense. Like I don't think he like uh, at least according to the message boards, he wasn't like the most active recruiter in the world. And it's like, I, I don't care. They're still getting the recruits in the door. And then he just, you know, cooks up amazing I stuff. I think he's a pro Brock coach Bowers. anyway. I yeah. Think he, I think it, like he's, there's a good chance. I think not that this would be great for the Ravens exactly, but I think there's a good chance that Munkin's the next like Dable type in a year or two. Yeah. I mean, if this offense, if like the proof of concept is so good that, you know, this, this offense reaches a level that it did in, in 2019 or, or better, uh, that, then yeah, he's he's gonna be on on that short list of of hot names for for uh, new head coaching uh, positions. So uh, could be a one and done. Uh, I'd like to have him around a little bit longer, but it would be uh, a good th- one at least. You know, yes, he's he's not uh, getting fired. That that I could that I can live with. So um, exciting stuff potentially uh, over in Charm City. Um, so you've been away from from the underdog markets for a couple of weeks. You came back, snapped back into reality. What are some of your big takeaways on the ADP changes, shifts, what have you uh, that that you've been seeing in in your drafts this week? Yeah, so I've only looked at underdog at this point, so I don't know how much site to site variation there might be in this. But uh, also in in the the underdog things that I've been looking at, they switched for some reason their tournaments back to 18 rounds after the big board was 20 rounds. And uh, I don't know what that was. If uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it went into that. I like the 20 round format myself because I, I like 30 round formats uh, more than 20. So of course I like 20 more than 18, but I don't know, maybe, maybe like, maybe like casual algorithm gamers can't be bothered to learn the players. And maybe they, maybe they complained about that or something. I don't know. Uh, so I don't, I haven't had time to really, think about what that might mean for the overall, you know, markets. I, I think the 20 round format uh, should have made quarterback a little more, um, at least like maybe not quarterbacks go higher in general, but there should be more like quarterback three types being taken earlier because I think it's easier to have uh, and it's more, uh, it's more reasonable to have three quarterbacks in a 20 round format than an 18. And yet mm-hmm. uh, when it, I come back and, uh, Man, this is this is a real test of my faith right here on Anthony Richardson because I, I love Anthony Richardson as a prospect. I, I don't really feel the need to 
give these, you know, caveats that a lot of, um, a lot of, even a lot of his defenders kind of need to say, if this gets fixed and if this gets fixed, I don't even really feel that way anymore. I'm just like, no, he's, he's going to be sick, but I, it's a lot easier for me. You know, it's, 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 it's easy for me to say, oh yeah, Anthony Richardson's a good pick back when he's going in the one forties. Now yeah. he's going ahead of Dak Prescott, and mm-hmm. I don't even know what I think about. It. I don't want to make that pick. I don't think, but I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a good case for it. I, I'm just surprised because what did people think was going to happen? I guess I guess a lot of people must have thought he was going to have like a Malik Willis kind of tumble in the draft because like he was going top five, and it seems to just be the fact that he did go top five that changed his market upwards of fifty spots, even as the switch to twenty or from twenty to eighteen rounds. I feel like makes him riskier yet. So uh, a lot of people clearly were converted on the basis of that selection. Uh, maybe it's the spot. Maybe they were worried that he land on a, like a tougher depth chart or something. And they look at Gardner Minshew and say like, oh, well, yeah, he'll start over Minshew. But what were we worried about? Like he was going to s- sit behind like, uh, I guess Garoppolo could have been one and Geno Smith would be the other. But I, I don't know. I didn't really consider those two teams likely to take Richardson, so maybe that's all that I'm missing here. Okay. Um, e- either way, um, I think that that most people, even even the Richardson enthusiasts for for uh, this season, are more comfortable taking him a, as like a really high upside QB two in, in one quarterback formats. And now you're getting him, like you said, uh, you know, you can get him. Uh, at, or you have to take him before Dak Prescott. Like uh, he went a few picks after Tua in the eighth round. He was the tenth pick of the eighth round in one that I did um, earlier this week, just a little bit ahead of Kirk Cousins and two rounds ahead of Daniel Jones, Geno Smith. So um, you're you're getting what would ideally be your your QB two. Although you can you know theoretically circle back and and get someone like, like an Aaron Rodgers or or a or Geno Smith. Um, yeah. a little bit later and, and uh, be fine probably at quarterback, but uh, it, it's just a, a wonder or a question of like how you're allocating your, your, uh, your resources in the draft. Right. So um, I, 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 again, I don't feel the need to say like uh, Richardson could have all these things go wrong. I don't really think he will, but Dak Prescott is a really good quarterback. I guess it's understandable that people are concerned about Brian Schottenheimer or whatever, but it's not like the Cowboys are going to throw the ball 30 times a game when they have Brandon cooks, CD lamb and Michael Gallup. Like they're going to throw the ball quite a bit. Uh, maybe the tempo drops off a little bit from last year, but I'm not really convinced that's true either. Uh, I, I, I don't want to take Richardson over Dak Prescott. And I, even when I was buying Richardson in bulk uh, before the draft in that like round 13 to 14, maybe even like 15, I can't remember uh, that range. I was getting him as like my quarterback three usually. So with the price this much higher, uh, at least in the tournament games on underdog, I think it almost makes sense to just go with Richardson as your quarterback one, because it's like you're in so deep already that if he isn't a quarterback one return, then the whole theory of the selection is just kind of toast right off the bat. Mm -hmm. So um, it's an extremely risky approach, but if you're in for that level of risk, you might as well kind of, you know, see it through. I feel like, uh, like you're not going to find security for cheap, uh, once you, if you want to take that particular plunge. So, uh, I doubt I'm going to take a whole lot more Richardson more likely. I'm going to have to apparently get a lot of, uh, Trey Lance. Cause I, I know, um, uh, 
I, I realize I'm kind of like an anti-Brock Purdy extremist to a lot of people. Uh, yeah, who, who would say that? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just, I don't know what to say, man. I mean, I've watched the games, you know, and that's not me saying like I, what I'm trying to say specifically here is I don't have any unique insight on Brock Purdy. I just watched the plays. I, too many people just look at the numbers in the box score and not that I look, look at every single play. I don't, but Brock Purdy's rookie season was a matter of, you know, unique interest to me. So I, I watched it and I'm sorry, but if you think that Brock Purdy made throws that Trey Lance can't, or even uh, Sam Darnold for that matter, can't, then I just don't, I, I just have to question that person's ability to discern, you know, physical events on a football field. Like it's just, objectively a lot of t-ball a lot of wide open guys a lot of yards after the catch the same reasons that there was always reason to know jimmy garoppolo wasn't as good as his numbers and the idea that trey lance can't benefit from those same structural benefits uh i don't know i i don't see the basis for it so my position that uh trey lance will still start for the 49ers obviously is is unlikely uh according to the betting market certainly and even the 49ers or john lynch anyway said I guess Purdy's the starter for now based on how he played last year, but he's, he, he didn't do anything that Trey Lance can't. And there's plenty of things that Lance can do that Purdy cannot. And I just, I just don't think that there's, I just don't think that there's good reason for Lance to be going. Uh, let's see about where, uh, about almost where like Desmond Ritter and those guys are going. Like he's a uh, fallen down or past Kenny Pickett anyway down into like the 180s and I bet he's going to fall even further like Purdy's I guess to be fair going later than Lance but uh I expect that to change because Lance is falling so far it's like why wouldn't he keep going uh and, and I'm not sure what changed but it, it seems like he's gonna to me keep falling so I'm not gonna like reach for him exactly but I plan to be the person who takes Lance a bunch at the the new price so yeah I mean he he went in the 15th um, of a draft that I did earlier this week. So, um, you know, it's, you're definitely, you know, taking a, a risk that, that, um, you know, it's not going to cost you too, too much. And, and obviously like you, you're not really having to invest a ton there. You should have a couple quarterbacks already by, by that point, uh, more, more likely than not. So yeah, I think that that's a worthy upside. And, you know, it, it, Jim and I talked about, um, drafting from, you know, you get your opinion of a team of an offense, and you kind of extrapolate that to your draft plan. So, if you if your if your theory is that Trey Lance is going to be the starter for for the Niners all season, then the fifteenth round is a, is a great time to get him. Yeah, and I, I of course need to mention that this is kind of tournament logic uh, for me. Like, I I do have to give caveats with the Trey Lance advocacy. Like, I I have to admit. The the 49ers are not beholden, certainly not to my opinion, but uh, I don't think Kyle Shanahan has, is beholden to any particular uh, consistent premise with with his like talent evaluation. I, I don't think Lance being clearly better, better than Purdy is a uh, sufficient condition to make Lance the definite starter. I think Shanahan can muck that up, basically. But um, man, we still don't even know. Like Purdy didn't have any zip to start with. We don't know. Uh, we know that he's going to start throwing in a week or whatever, but we don't know what happens after that. We don't know how his arm looks, how, how the zip looks when he gets to training camp. He's trying to come back 
from what seems to be a worse version of that Roethlisberger injury, the same way Roethlisberger did, which is to say avoid surgery. And I know, t- I, which also I think speaks to the, to probably the nature of the injury being worse than a lot of people are uh, kind of assuming, because if he felt the need to avoid surgery, I think that means that the surgery would have um, made it harder for him to take training camp reps than yeah. avoiding surgery. And if it's that level of severity, then you can't just assume that skipping surgery is going to make it easy for him. Like he might get to camp and, um, you know, forget like arm fatigue. He might barely be able to make throws that he made last year, which were already rookie mode difficulty. So I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, I mean, I guess to be, again, to be fair to the ADP, since Purdy is still going later than Lance or has to this point, maybe no, it's, it's not that anyone's uh, necessarily saying Purdy gets it as much as they're also worried about Darnold. And I, I guess I get that in some sense, but only in the sense that I think Darnold is clearly better than Purdy. And I know that sounds crazy to people, but I, I don't care. I, I'm content to let that one play out. Purdy is worse than uh, both Lance and Darnold. Yeah, I, I I can see with with Darnold. I, I know he it's obviously not gone super well for him, especially relative no. <laughs> to where he got taken in the draft. But um, you know, I, I think he's been put in about the toughest spots as as you could be, save for like being on the uh, twenty twenty one Jaguars. Um, Trevor Lawrence had to wear that one, but uh, other than that, it's been it's the the football gods have not been kind uh, to one Sam Darnold, whose whose grandfather uh, was the Marlboro Man. <laughs> I, I forgot about that yeah I, I used to I, I used to be such like a huge Darnold guy coming out of USC I knew all these little fun facts about like oh amazing volleyball player also you know <laughs> it's kind of disappointing that he doesn't sound like uh, the Marlboro man himself I know I, I would make him like at least two rounds uh, cooler um, it's probably but, why he's failed at this point um, yeah. but yeah to, to off of the quarterback subject there's there's definitely some some things at running back that have changed too that that surprised me a little bit like um, Miles Sanders also I can't tell how how much this might be a small sample thing like maybe these maybe these ADPs will shift in the upcoming days as, as people do more drafts or something but Miles Sanders uh, I was interested before because I feel like he was going in something like the late eighth or something like that before I, I can't remember for certain but uh, now he's going ahead of J.K. Dobbins at 56. Miles Sanders is going, and I don't like that. So uh, I, I guess I'm glad I got a few swings at Sanders before because I'm I'm not paying that price. I'm not taking Sanders over Dobbins, Damian Pierce. Uh, I assume Dalvin Cook will land someplace that will be sufficient for me to to also take Cook over Sanders. Uh, I'd probably prefer Pach- I do prefer Pacheco, um, and, and I think if if Dalvin Cook gets cut, which he will. Uh, maybe Alexander Madison too over Miles Sanders. So that's a weird price. I don't, that maybe that's just one of those things. Like a, some guy took him in like the second round or mm. something because he timed out or something and he had him in the queue. I don't know. Uh, but that, that one's weird. I, I, and nothing changed either, you know? So I have no idea what leads to swings like that. Maybe someone posted some article about how, uh, Miles Sanders' uh, PFF elusive rating is so high or whatever. And maybe that set off some kind of stupid, uh, scram for, 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 getting a bunch of picks there. But, is, uh, uh, do you think the theory could just be like uh, a perceived lack of competition for, for snaps? Yeah, I guess well, people might've been worried about the Panthers taking somebody in the draft, but we knew they wouldn't because of the Sanders contract being what it was. So I, I'm clearly missing something. I just, I really can't figure out what it is. If, if, if people thought that they were going to draft a running back, then I guess them not doing that would be sufficient reason for those people. 
to raise Sanders. Uh, it just seemed like poor, uh, poor scouting, like poor, poor uh, reconnaissance so to me I, to end up in that situation. So I, I guess just trying to justify that this current ADP, um, do, do we think that, that A, the Panthers have a good offensive line and B, the fact that, you know, that they have Bryce Young, a rookie quarterback, maybe they, they, you know, try Andy to Dalton, an established veteran, John. Mm, uh, <laughs> Um, I know that's not going to hold, but it, it's, uh, or at least I, I guess we should hope it. Maybe they're doing like a tank on purpose kind of thing. I guess that would kind of make sense. What, why, but, does it, uh, why does Andy Dalton just take these jobs where he's like, yeah, you're you're about to get like passed over by a rookie, and like everyone's going to hate you if you start, you know? To, maybe just, maybe Dalton got word that they're going to take Bryce Young, and he just looked at him and is like. This is a ball boy. I'll take yeah, my chances. I, I am taller than this guy. Um, but either way, like the the idea of like Carolina maybe being a, a little bit more run heavy this season and and the, thus like Sanders with the contract and everything like gets a lot of work. Yeah, I think they're going to give Sanders a lot of work. I And, you know, one reason I was in on him back at his prior ADP was because although it was a downgrade in the offense, you know, the touchdown rate that's off the table. And I think he might also struggle to post the uh, yards per carry marks that he did with the Eagles, sure. but the volume is going to be more consistent at the very least. Maybe, maybe that doesn't necessarily help uh, spike week concerns, which I guess is, you know, what we should care about most with, with best ball, but there aren't going to be nearly as many weeks where Sanders gets like eight carries for 35 yards. You know, that, right. that was on the table with the Eagles because they would take Hertz up in the run game. If, if the defense was giving them Hertz more than Sanders, or they'd go pass happy if they, they saw something that was working. Uh, so they didn't, they weren't committed to Sanders. The Panthers are the Panthers don't, there's no conceivable way they can run their offense in any game that doesn't involve Sanders going over 10 carries easily. So it's, it's a good setup for him. And, and as to the offensive line, like they should be pretty good. I don't know how I, I'm, I still don't really, I, I don't still believe that a, a Kwanu was the best pick for them, but his run blocking was always pretty you know, pretty, pretty oh, well yeah, regarded. He's moving people. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to the extent I was ever concerned about that pick doesn't apply to the run game. So they, and the other guys are, are pretty, they're, they still got Moton at right tackle. Um, I can't remember who the interior guys are, but I remember thinking they were looking pretty good there too. I, I'll have that for you in, in two seconds <laughs> here. But yeah, it, sh- um, it should be a good run blocking line on a team that needs to run a lot. So yeah, it, it uh, actually does look good. Uh, they got Brady Christensen from uh, from BYU at left guard. He's big guy, so so that's a huge left side of the line. They get they got Bradley Bozeman and Austin Corbett um, rounding out the interior. Okay, so yeah, that should be pretty good. And um, yeah, like I said, they they don't really have the lux. They don't um they don't really have the um the freedom to throw the ball a whole lot. So Sanders is going to get a lot of work. Um, I do think there's a weird thing that could happen with like Raheem Blackshear ending up the passing down back there, which I would actually, I would extremely endorse that. I think Blackshear yes, he was sick is the truth that. as a pass catcher. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would love to see that, but they're, they're going to be a team that maybe is a little bit low tempo is actually my main concern. The Dalton and young aside, my main concern with that offense is they might be low tempo because they need to win by letting like their defense flex, you know, that defense needs to keep the game low scoring. Uh, they need to be, if they want to compete anyway, they need to be the Denver Broncos of last year who score 18.7 points per game, uh, mm-hmm. thus going 10 and seven or whatever, uh, <laughs> rather than what Hackett was able to muster there. 
they're, they're not going to win shootouts. They can't keep up in, in you know, marathons. No, de- definitely not. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I, we, I agree. Like on on its face, Sanders going in the fifth seems too high. But the, the fifth, I feel like in general, is just where sh- stuff gets stupid. It, in yeah, drafts. it seems like I wonder right now if there's a lot of standard deviation between picks from draft to draft, because it seems it seems like you see some picks that get made that don't neatly align with the ADP and not just not just like this guy was by, uh, ahead of this guy in the ADP, but they took the one after him. It's like guys, six spots down the rankings will go because it's teams or people will be drafting and it's like their draft slot for the they'd want that player and they're not totally sure that they'll be there by the time their next pick is up for, for good reason, usually. And uh, yeah, I, I have to believe that there's a lot of like polarization in, in people's boards right now or something, because what I mean by that, I guess, is like Sanders going at 56 uh, might. It's not something that I would bank on uh, going in that same spot if Dalvin Cook's going at 72. You know, like if I'm if I'm in a draft, I'm not assuming Sanders goes at 50. I, for all I know, Cook goes ahead of him in that draft, or at least like if I if I'm considering Cook, I have to in practice just assume that it's a real possibility and and not just you know a bank on Cook being there later. So it's 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 hard to tell right now how much this ADP is like bankable. You know, like mm-hmm. maybe you need to put a plus minus of like 14 picks in that round uh, five to eight range. And I can't really remember it being that way before. Yeah, it's it. I mean, still early. Like we, we've been in it si- since right after the Super Bowl. But, it, you know, it is not even Memorial People Day. People are figuring yeah. stuff out still and like just now reading things and just now catching up on bad analysis that they might have missed uh, a couple months ago. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So another, another thing, like Alex, Alexander Madison at 81.5 is going to rise. Because the, the Vikings cannot keep Dalvin Cook. But uh, so, so in that range, like I would much rather have Madison. I'd much rather have David Montgomery at 86.5. That's too late. I, uh, yeah, I love some David Montgomery uh, this yeah. year. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and sorry, John, just to scoot a, a little bit ahead uh, about something else that surprised me. I was, I, I was pretty big on Devin A-Chain. Uh, back when he was going in like the 130s, I was surprised to see he's at 110.4. And again, this could be one of those things where some goofball took him in like the fourth round or something. Uh, I don't, maybe that's enough to throw it off. But even as a person who was drafting him a bunch, that seems a little high to me at 110.4. Yeah. So he, he's going, um, I just, it's, I'm going to take some swings uh, on Devin A. Chain, even at, at yeah, the new price. I like just him. because I want the, to believe. I, I, I really think people are kind of underestimating him. And, and you know, th- this is total catnip. You know, it's it's OTAs, but, you know, everyone's saying pretty, you know, glowing stuff about A. Chain uh, th- thus far. So, I mean, he, he's got so much upside. I mean, the, the track speed is so real. I, I mean, like I, when I think about uh, his college tape, like his, his freshman year, uh, I think what Spiller must have opted out for for that game against uh, North Carolina in the Orange Bowl, and like he just freaking torched it as a true freshman. I'm like, th- this guy is something else. And then he obviously turned into being uh, a great back for for A and M. It's just they have so many, like the the Dolphins. They don't necessarily need. A chain to be the guy like they just have they have so much speed in that backfield and, and a little bit of power um, on top of it and so I, I just worry about the mixing and matching so much to where 
A-Chain isn't getting like the quite the consistent role. Maybe he's super effective on the touches that he gets and, and it ends up being fine uh, for what you paid for him. But like I, I do have some workload concerns, if nothing else, for, for a 10th round pick. Yeah, and, and I guess I would maybe be less uh, skeptical of A-Chain at 110.4 if Rashad Penny was going earlier than 115. And if... Uh, I don't know. I guess I guess there aren't that many guys that I would actually take over a chain who are going later than him. But I think there's a pretty good case. Um, for, I think there's a case. I guess I guess my main issue with a chain at this price is I love his chances of giving you a bunch of good flex weeks and maybe even some RB two weeks. But I don't think he has that much upside. Um, certainly not in workload. Like if there's someone that I had to put a bet on having a bunch of ten yards per carry games and having like an eighty yard touchdown, I'd put it on a chain. But sure. I can't trust him to get to 12 carries in a game even once this year. So no. I kind of want to more so, at least in these tournaments, so I, I want to swing for upside, especially if I have to pay that much to get him. And to me, someone like Elijah Mitchell at 127 is also uh, maybe a maybe not a better pick straight up, but a better value, certainly. Because if McCaffrey misses time, Mitchell just goes crazy. Mm-hmm. And he like to the point that he could be like a top eight running back uh, overall. So I think... Um, if I can get better upside at a cheaper price, I almost categorically would prefer that to each a chain unless a chain starts to cost more like he did before the draft. And uh, yeah, I, I love a chain though. And I, I kind of, I actually do hold some truth or belief that he might be a, a, a more voluminous ball carrier than people expect. And it certainly helps to hear that he basically plans to bulk up a little bit and he's already at 192 and he, you know, he's 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 one of those guys who's pretty smart too. Like you read his quotes and it seems like he's kind of got things figured out. And he was saying, uh, you know, I, I was in track. I'm not going to be bulking up when I'm on the, you know, I can't bulk up during track season. Like I, I can't do track if I do that. I'm not mm-hmm. doing track now. So now I can bulk up. And it's, yeah, he's he's not, he's not like five, five, you know, he, it doesn't make sense that he would be stuck at 188 if he wanted to weigh more than that. And crucially, when he has this much speed, he can put on weight and afford to lose speed and still be one of the very fastest players in the league, certainly at running back. Yeah. So, like if, if he's, if he's five pounds heavier and running a mid four threes, that's fine. Yeah. I don't think he's going to run. Uh, so the four, three, two, I actually do believe like Daniel Jeremiah said, we had reason to believe he wasn't a hundred percent when he ran that. And I say that because his 100 meter times are objectively the same as Tyree kills. And <sighs> it's like, yeah, he's, he's not running those hundred meters at 195 pounds. But if he's 195 pounds, he really might get over 200 carries in a handful of seasons. And it, at that weight, he still might be the fastest running back in the NFL. That, that to me, uh, very, very intriguing. Oh, I love him in Dynasty at the very least. Oh, you got to. Um, before we get on to our next topic, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we also got a message from our friends over at Circa. The ultimate fantasy football draft can only take place in Las Vegas. Circa Resort and Casino wants to bring your whole league to Vegas with the ultimate fantasy football experience giveaway. Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circa Resort and have your draft at a Cabana Stadium Swim. Plus, limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sportsbook, and more. A prize package valued at over $8,000. There's no better place to draft than Circa. 21 and up, go to CircaLasVegas.com for more information. Again, that's CircaLasVegas.com for more information on that Circa Ultimate Fantasy Football Draft. Um, let's move on. Um, we, we're going to talk about so, some potential risers over the summer, but what, one last uh, ADP development that I, I don't think we've fully unpacked yet is uh, the the Kenneth Walker drop in, in light of of the Zach Charbonnet selection by by Seattle, where Walker was a guy that was going late second, early third, like clockwork all the I way think up. He was going even earlier a lot of the time. I feel like I saw him go like top fifteen a bunch of times, stuff like that. Yeah, I, th- I think I did as well. So what I mean, do we? I didn't really like him when he was going that high, and me I, neither. But. It feels like now this might be a good time to go ahead and, j- and jump in. Yeah, if, especially if you're looking at like a broad portfolio and you're kind of like you don't have much Walker already. Like if you drafted Walker already, I think maybe don't even now draft him or at least wait a little while. See if he maybe drops even further yet, because uh, it is a problem that they took Charbonnet. Charbonnet, in my opinion is at least as good of a prospect as Walker was. And I liked Walker too. So um, that's not me saying Charbonnet is going to take it over. I think Kenneth Walker is too good for that to happen. So they're both going to be kind of overqualified for their roles. And I guess maybe, maybe the, maybe one of the bigger questions for Walker is to what extent Charbonnet specifically gets work as a pass catcher, because uh, not that we were banking on Walker catching like 50 passes or something, but it was on the table before, and now I think it just isn't. And if he has a cap of something like 30 catches, there's a chance he doesn't even get to that, you know? And it's like, how many... It, it, there's some running backs who are good enough as runners, uh, or at least get enough work as runners that they can offset something like 20 or 30 catches. You know, Derrick Henry, I guess, Nick Chubb. Not that I think Chubb's going to be that way this year, or Henry, I guess, really. But uh, Walker's not that kind of running back. I mean, he's not going to get... 30 carries to offset only having uh, in a game. I mean, to offset only having like zero or one catches. It's just, he's only like, yeah, this is Michigan state, right? He's only 211. I actually like, I mean, I, I hate it for fantasy, but I like the Charbonnet pick for the Seahawks because, uh, they're going to run like hell and it's going to, it's going to make, uh, my least favorite people very angry to watch, to, to see how, how well it works. And so I, I appreciate that angle of it too. Oh, yeah. But Charbonnet is, you know, he could be like a top 15 running back, I think. 
uh, Ken Walker could be the same. So their whole thing is like, yeah, we want to give each of them 20 carries if we can, because it means we're just stomping you. And mm-hmm. some people are like, no, you can't do that. That's 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 enumerate. That's wrong. And it's like if they get the ball that much at the time and they're moving it for that much, they're winning. If you don't like how they're doing it, that's that's a you problem. But they're going to run all the time and they have the luxury of of running with tempo too. like you, if you only have Ken Walker in your running team, you need to take your time between snaps. Uh, let let him catch his breath, not put too much work on him by the time the fourth quarter gets there. Now they can just they can do like Chip Kelly stuff. Just if 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 Walker's gas because he took five carries in a row, put in Charbonnet, uh, keep running it until the defense stops it. And sometimes they're just not gonna. It's it's not the winning that we're concerned about. It's it's uh, where you finish in the expected uh, standings um, that that really yeah. counts. Yeah, my my model is is actually uh, what determines the the Super Bowl winner. It's the real uh, truth, not, not the field results. But yeah, so uh, anyway, I, I am worried for Walker, even though I like him and I, I didn't want to fade him before either. I was just worried that they might re- re-sign Rashad Penny, who I'm sorry, is a better pure runner than Ken Walker, who needs to get by as a pure runner. So I thought when when Penny signed with uh, the Eagles, I was like, oh, I guess those Walker picks are going to work out fine. So um, I felt the FOMO before the draft, but uh, now I'm glad that I uh, didn't react too quickly and, you know, go chasing Walker shares. Cause um, even as somebody who doesn't really like his new price that much either, at least now I can kind of, you know, if I end up in a draft and I'm like, you know, I got a, uh, I got my running back one already. I don't really like the receivers on the board. I don't have any Walker shares. Why not now? You know, I, I I'm at least, free to do that now whereas before i i felt like i couldn't approach him at all uh, i'll say this and, and i'm not even the, the biggest ken walker guy and I, and I do really like this other guy's game a lot but this year i have some concerns especially in a half point ppr i'm taking walker over gibbs every time oh fair enough i don't even know what i think about that i never that's the other thing gibbs i did pretty much all my drafting before the draft uh, so all my teams in best ball mania and stuff were before the NFL draft, I should say more clearly. So back then Gibbs was so much cheaper than he is now. Even yep. I was shocked that the lions, t- I mean, I w- not just that I was shocked that the lions in particular took him. I was shocked that he went top 12, but I love the pick because I think Gibbs is just the man, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very different question at 39. I don't know. I don't really think it, <laughs> especially because I have a decent amount of Gibbs already when he was going in like the fifth, I should probably just ignore him for a little while. Uh, certainly at this new higher price. And I don't know if I have the guts to take him straight up over, man, even guys like Aaron Jones, uh, Dobbins, of course I'm a truther about. So I don't think I would want Gibbs straight up over Dobbins necessarily. And it's like, we're, we're talking, um, you know, upwards of 20 picks apart. So it's, it's a, uh, it's probably going to be tough for me to take Gibbs anytime soon. Yeah, it's um, it, it just I worry about that Montgomery factor a lot, and I, I worry about Gibbs just, like just being this extremely effective guy. But you need to have him go off as a pass catcher or break a long touchdown for for him to be like. It'd be a little uh, easier in full point PPR also. Yeah, yeah DraftKings, I, I can I can get behind him uh, on as a fourth round guy. I'm not sure if his ADP is is a whole lot different there. I think I've only done like one or two um, over on DK thus far. But um, yeah, as far as that the half point scoring on underdog, um, I'm I'm just out on on Gibbs. And at, again, at that 
ADP. Montgomery at 87 is like such an easy, you know, I'll put that on autopilot. I'll, I'll take a whole bunch of that. So my, my other autopilot that I, I might need to chill out on, but TBD, if I actually will practice it, this level of restraint, I get a lot of Damian Harris. I want to believe I'm only afraid about his injury history. As far as who's the best runner on that team, no question. Damian Harris is way better than James Cook, even on a per play basis in my mind. I know that some people are like, well, Cook can get by with big explosiveness and pass catching. Well, the pass catching didn't happen last year. And now we've got about a half of a decade of case study, years of case study about how it's probably structurally impossible to be a productive pass catching running back in the Josh Allen offense as it's currently constructed like he basically needs to do more dropping back uh they need to take more snaps under center they need uh not as many trips formations things like that and uh alan might not just he just something about the way that he processes like the rhythm that he's on maybe it just isn't good for running backs uh, for in structure routes or something because like i, I right. believe james cook is a good pass catcher but it didn't matter last year and to the point that i'm actually wondering is Devin Singletary actually a pretty good pass catcher? Was it actually just impossible to do well with, with the running back targets there? So if not on the basis of pass catching, Cook has just nothing on Harris, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, the two years of hamstring troubles kind of creeps me out. And it's, I wish I could get, I hope I can get over it, I guess, because I don't think I have any, a whole lot of Harris shares. It's like I wasn't taking him when he was a free agent. And then when he signed with the Bills, he started going a little bit higher than I felt comfortable taking him. But I do like Harris's talent. And as a pure runner, I think he's he's um not that he's great or anything, but he's one of the uniquely good runners in the league when he's healthy. And and I also just feel like it, you know, and the Bills have said this before with little evidence to to actually back it up. But, you know, the, the idea of them not flinging Josh Allen into the teeth of the defense when they're down by the goal line. Harris. Can yeah, they, I mean, they might want to think about that. And that would be Harris's realm yep. uh, to poach if, if it were the case. And I, I still feel like he, even though uh, I have some concerns about the Bills this season as far as the, their Super Bowl chances, like it's still an offense that is going to score a lot of touchdowns and going to be in the red zone a lot. So therefore, I just feel like Harris kind of is that guy if they want to punch it in on the ground. Yeah, I will say it does look like Latavius Murray is going to make the team, too. I think that was just ter- Brandon Bean has done some things very well with the Bills. His running back scouting, uh, Damian Harris aside, has been horrendous. And uh, the Latavius Murray signing is another case of like, dude, you, you got to stop listening to whoever's advising you about this stuff. They just don't know what the hell they're doing. But they're giving him enough guaranteed money that they kind of have to keep him on the roster, it looks like. Uh, Dang it. I watched, I watched a lot of Latavius. Um, He's toast. It, you know, He's with, so with toast. Baltimore two years ago, yeah. It's so toast, and it's it's because of that one stupid game where he had like an 80-yard carry last year. I can't remember what game it was, but it was like the defense just played Matador with him, you know, and he, he just very slowly had a long play that that juiced his yards per carry. And uh, the rest of the time, it's like he just, he's a good, maybe a good running back three, I guess, but I don't know how you're giving him enough guaranteed money to keep him all year as a running back four. Although, if Harris gets hurt, um, Murray would be their best next best uh between the tackles runner at that point it's just to me it's like you could have had someone so much better there for so much cheaper exactly so i'm just crossing my fingers that that the health holds up for for harris and maybe he won't have such like a high volume role that that it ends up not being an issue uh i don't know wishful thinking but uh, i like harris if he stays healthy he's going to be a cashing pick 
yeah, I'm, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. Um, so as we teased it at the beginning of the show, we, you know, we, it's been awesome so far just talking our, our general reactions to, to the market and so on. But who are some guys in your mind that you could see, uh, rising up fr- from their current ADP as we get, uh, closer to the season, like as training camp unfolds? Cause it, there's probably not going to be a ton of movement between, uh, now and and in the end of July, barring like a, a DeAndre Hopkins trade or, or the Dalvin yeah. Cook. Uh, thanks for taking away one of my uh, cop outs that I had in the chamber, John. I was, oh, I was, cop uh, it out, baby. Oh no, I was just uh, Hopkins is an easy one because it's like he's going at forty four now, and that's which is to say later than Jerry Judy, Mike Williams, Christian. Why is Christian Watson going so high? And why is Amari Cooper all of a sudden going in the top three rounds? Wasn't he going in like the fifth? Before I think the draft, pe- I think people are starting to talk themselves into the Browns having a good offense this year, and I mean that—that's something that I've—I've I've bought into plenty as far as my best ball shares. Are yeah, concerned. I was getting a lot of uh, Watson, and uh, I tried to get Cooper with them. I didn't as much as I did Watson uh, standalone, but uh, yeah, it's I—I I guess I have to begrudgingly admit that this is probably where Cooper should have been going all along. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, the Watson one I don't understand. I, I mean. Granted, I'm probably um, clinging to my priors a little bit, but I, I just don't think he demonstrated as much in-structure uh, reliability as as people are taking away based based on like his per snap air yardage and his per snap like yards per route run and stuff like that. Like we're still talking about a player who had something like 20 good plays all year, and stuff can change. I mean, like he he might not have been get getting a whole lot of respect from defenses when he made those good plays. And that's just setting aside the fact that uh, most of it was done against the Lions specifically, who had total, you know, uh, pra- practice squad guys playing corner at the time. And uh, this is all before we get into the question of what Jordan Love actually means for that offense. I personally don't even really know, but it seems to me like they're gearing up to run a lot more than they did in the past. And they were already a low pass attempt volume team. So uh, yeah, taking, taking Christian Watson over Mike Williams, uh, DeAndre Hopkins is crazy to me, even if Hopkins is still on the Cardinals. And I just happen to think, man, he he needs to hold out. If they don't, if they're not, if they're really going to hold on to him just to get like try to get a better offer next year, he needs to say, then I'll just wait till next year. Like, what if, mm-hmm. if he's stuck there anyway? <clears throat> why not wait until Kyler Murray's actually healthy? Like, you don't need to play, you know, six games this year with Clayton Tune. I like Clayton Tune. But DeAndre Hopkins can be on a Super Bowl team right now, and uh, he needs he needs to, you know, he needs to force their hand a little bit because if he goes to any other team, he's going higher than forty five. There's no question. Yeah, no, he he absolutely is. Um, I uh, let's see in that particular range, uh, I've been getting just m- mostly autopiloting Terry McLaurin. I love McLaurin and I, I actually really like stylistically Howell's fit with him because Howell's kind of a chucker. You know, he's he um maybe he's not as good of a pure passer as as we'd like. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have fallen to the fifth round. But McLaurin has dealt like McLaurin's best quarterback has been what Heineke. Yeah. And uh, I like Heineke. And as far as like, you know, backup type or number 30 kind of quarterback. But Heineke. It, he had that, he had that gunslinger mentality, but I don't think he had as good of a deep ball as Howell. Like Howell, I think even his critics would admit like his deep ball is pretty good. Yeah. I think if I think the criticism with him was largely like he can't really do anything else. Like he just does a high low thing where they you know do an RPO kind of thing at North Carolina, and he'd either chuck it deep 
or he'd kind of run with it or he'd, uh, you know, let those running backs do so much when they had Carter and Javante Williams there. So, and I, I didn't really know how to evaluate Howell as a prospect. I kind of, uh, curl, curl. I was like, no, no way in hell is he going to be any good. But Howell is <laughs> like, man, I think all, both his fans and his critics are kind of right. Or at least I can't tell which one is right. Uh, sometimes things are a little more obvious. I feel like, and, and Howell is not one such case, but I, I think even if you're a skeptic, you can kind of admit that he's pretty good at, at the downfield, just chucker ball. And McLaurin can make that work, especially if he's getting repeated shots at it. Like maybe he goes zero for five on the first five targets, but you're not going to stop him through 10. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so I, I like McLaurin at, at his price. And I, I've just found in general that the Washington is like an easy, like you, you don't even have to go into your draft planning on getting like a Washington stack, but it's very easy to get. Like you, you can, yeah. you can get McLaurin in the fourth. You can get Dotson in what, like the seventh, eighth, and then Howell in the, in like the 14th or 15th. And there you have it. Yeah. And particularly with someone, one of my favorite prior quarterback three upside type picks and Anthony Richardson going as high as he is now. I'm more interested in than ever, I think, in Howell teams, especially because... So I just did one draft today, the first one that I've done in like three or four weeks or whatever. And I I felt like the quarterback market was pushing me toward like Howell. Like I, I was like, I, I didn't go in here wanting to take Howell, but I know I haven't liked any of the quarterback options through like 10 rounds. And then once, I'm, once you're fading the whole position that much, you might as well kind of just punt entirely, you know? And so I was, I was like, man, they're, they're trying to make me take Howell. And I didn't even really want to take Howell. Uh, so I, 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 I imagine I'm going to find myself in that spot enough times that I should keep it in mind to specifically target McLaurin a little bit more. To this point, I've, I've tended to only end up with McLaurin when I kind of just a combination of like, I've already got running backs and these receivers that are available are kind of like there's like two or three guys probably like him and Christian Kirk and maybe some like Drake London or something. And I, I kind of just tried to remember which one of the three I took the last time when I was in that position. And, and on that basis, I was taking McLaurin, but I should probably, uh, if only cause I don't, I can't take for granted that Howell will be this cheap forever. Like for all I know, Ron Rivera could come out today and say, yeah, we're starting Howell. And then Howell starts going in like the 11th or 10th round, you know, right now mm -hmm. you can get him almost at the end, like the 15th, 16th round pretty regularly. And if, if he starts, probably as little as like 12 games uh howell mclaurin dotson stacks could be quite useful because it's just so cheap to get all of them yeah i i love it and i, I think it's a common theme of our podcast we, we love dumpster diving and, and i think washington is uh, you know prime like panera just dumped out all their bread Speaking we're, we're of, jumping in yeah not to go too deep into the weeds and don't get me wrong i don't know I need, I need at the very least the 20 round format to come back before I'm going to take this guy. Oh, but, yes. uh, Chris Rodriguez needs to be taken more seriously. This, there, I see all these people, just the number watcher people on Twitter. Uh, they're all like, you got to get the, 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 the Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson combo. They got the whole backfield to themselves. It's like, how do you not know who Chris Rodriguez is? Like you're, if your job is to analyze football and, and prospects and things like that, how are you looking at Chris Rodriguez and what he did at Kentucky? And just thinking, oh, Brian Robinson's safe from that. I even think Antonio Gibson is at some risk from Robinson, uh, Rodriguez, mm -hmm. certainly taking rushing snaps. But that's primarily a Robinson problem because Robinson, truthfully, cannot do a single thing. But to the extent that he does anything, it's in theory running the ball. Uh, Rodriguez can run better than him. It's not an actual question. The only question is ball security. Rodriguez was a little bit of a fumbler 
But also, that's just because he broke tackles at the college level, which Robinson did not even. He's just, he just takes the space that's there, and he falls wherever he gets hit. Whereas mm-hmm. Rodriguez runs over people, and that's where you get some of those fumbles. It's kind of like Dwayne McBride. Like, he had a bunch of fumbles. It's because the, the defense will get, like, 15 shots at him in one play because that's how many times he makes people miss. Yeah, McBride, um, is he someone that, that you similarly have a little bit of interest in late? Yeah, he's probably going to be my main round 20 kind of pick. I just have to I have to have the discipline in the earlier part of the draft to not take five running backs because I don't in the 18 round format. I don't want to go over five running backs for tournaments anyway. And uh, t- generally, I have five well before McBride goes off the board, which it looks like he's going to be in round 18 a lot. I, I need to get some of that. Because it's not an actual question. Sometimes people like to pretend there's questions about some things. And granted, I guess I'd be bad at admitting or, or recognizing in some of those cases where there were questions. But there is no actual question. There's no debate to be had. There's no, there's no need for conditions stated about who is the best pure runner on the Vikings roster if Dalvin Cook is no longer there. It's McBride. And that's over Madison, too. Madison will play a lot more because he's a three-down player. And McBride might only be a two-down player and. To whatever extent McBride might have potential for three downs, he's not anywhere near Madison's level anytime soon. Like Madison has always been a pretty natural three down player and he's, he's going to play all the passing downs. But at the very least, you're going to see some people talk about whether there's a question of whether McBride can be the running back two as a runner. And I'm sorry, but Ty Chandler, uh, the Iowa State one, those guys can't run even in general. And compared to McBride, it's, it's such a no contest. It's, it's just comical. Uh, McBride will get the second running back role if he stops fumbling on that team. It's as simple as that. Yeah. McBride, um, if you, if you're unfamiliar with, with his game, go check it out. I mean, he was just a, a bowling ball, uh, at UAB, just absolutely plowing over people, high yards per carry, tons of big runs. The fumbles were a bit of an issue. I, I remember. But again, if he goes, if he just, if he were, if he weren't so great at breaking tackles, he would have just gone down earlier. You know, it's kind of like how Jonathan Taylor largely stopped fumbling at the NFL level just because you can't break eight tackles per play at the NFL level. So <laughs> guys, number six, seven and eight, just hanging on your back and punching the ball. Uh, that doesn't happen as much in the NFL, but it happened all the time in the college level for both Taylor and McBride. No, exactly. Um, McBride, a uh, big fan of his. So go ahead and, and keep an eye on, on him late. Um, anyone else that, that you can see having their, their ADP uh, shift upwards? I mean, I, I, one guy I'm thinking about uh, that, that could fit here is Samaj P. Ryan. He's already going kind of high, but you know, if Javante isn't totally ready to, to hit the ground running, I mean, even if he is like, they're probably going to have him on like a, a J.K. Dobbins esque like pitch count at least early on in the season. I know Piran kind of is what he is, what he is at, at this point, but you know, Denver went out and signed him in free agency. Um, do you have any interest in, in him or, or um, reframing? Uh, do you think that he's someone that you know, a, as off season reports come out, especially re- regarding Javante, that we could see uh, Piran uh, climb a little bit? He could certainly any any bad news on Javante Williams would make P Ryan go higher. I think P Ryan's pretty much the exact same category as Alexander Madison in that he's not going to be explosive. There are definitely guys who can do more uh, as a runner and pass catcher, both, you know, Javante Williams, obviously both cases. But what P Ryan gives you and, and it's it's not nothing. It's, this isn't like a useless thing to an offense or for, for a play caller. 
P. Ryan gives you just a sort of certainty. He's kind of, you know, like a free space on a bingo board. It's like, it's not valuable, but it's it's one space you don't have to worry about at least, you know? And mm-hmm. then what P. Ryan does is he, he'll he'll pick up the blitz. He he won't get tired. He, he won't get like um, worn down by the defense if he goes over 20 carries. It's like, if, if you got to find someone to take 25 carries and you don't care much who it is, P. Ryan will take those carries and he's not going to make too many big plays, but he, he does have a tiring effect on a defense if you let him accumulate volume. So he'd be good for setting up the play action uh, on the play action plays. He p- picks up the blitz really well. He'll, you know, he'll, he'll knock some guys helmets pretty good and blitz pick up. So it's just easy if you're a play caller to just kind of end up having P Ryan on the field a lot. Like when you're, when you're thinking about the your problems as a play caller, you're never going to be like, Oh God, P Ryan keeps killing us. It's you probably have something else that you're worrying about instead because he gives you the luxury to do so. Yeah, no, he's a he's just a very solid role player. Um, I, I could see I again probably not a ton of upside, but you know there there could be a couple weeks he, he there where he sneaks into your lineup. I mean, if 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 Williams especially were to miss any time, Pirine is getting like pretty much all those you know carries and uh, perhaps with the specific understanding that like. We're going to overwork him now because Williams con- comes in at like whatever week five, six, whenever he's more prepared in this scenario. And then, you know, then then they can, you know, sort of taper off of P. Ryan in that case. And he, he can he's big enough at 235, 240. He can take about a month of overwork, you know, and if he's if that that overwork, if it looks like 20 catches or sorry, 20 carries and like three or four catches per game, which is totally on the table if Williams isn't playing. Uh, P Ryan can be like a, a four catch, five catch kind of running back as a starter. So um, he's one of those guys like Madison, not going to run away a whole lot, but he could get the ball so often, uh, especially for the price. Uh, if if he stays in that like one hundreds and later sort of range that, um you know, he he could have low efficiency and still be a clear benefit as a fantasy asset. And uh, go- going back into the archives uh, a little bit, uh, we're coming up almost 10 years ago. Uh, when you were running the college football section, <laughs> I believe you called Samaje P. Ryan uh, the week that he set the NCAA single game rushing record. I, I don't think I predicted that he would. Well, that, I don't I think was... he, I don't think you said that specifically, but I, th- I think like he like led your article ty- type of thing. Oh yeah, he was. I mean, he was insane. The funniest thing about P. Ryan, or, uh, this thing that's easy to forget, that's pretty funny about him is. He looked exactly the same to as he does today as a true freshman at Oklahoma. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's he's like at 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 uh, whatever those army training camp things, all star training camps. It's like, who is this twenty nine year old uh, professional weightlifter guy that's standing next to all these kids? It's like oh, right, Maje P Ryan. He's he's uh, he's eighteen. It's like he looks exactly the same as he does today. No, I've never other than like Nick Chubb. I can't remember the last time someone was a true freshman who who just came in like 230 pounds and just looked like they had been, you know, uh, basically raised in a weight room their whole life. Yeah. I, I believe Nick Chubb, uh, was in Cedar town. He still goes back there, uh, to, to lift weights in the off season. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the, those, those two are, are, pr- are pretty freakish that way. And, uh, yeah, P Ryan was just too much for the college level. He was just so, so burly. Uh, <laughs> it, he lost some of that advantage, obviously in the NFL, there's other huge guys there. So that's why he's a, just an off the bench kind of player in the NFL, as opposed to at, at Oklahoma. He was just, uh, like you said, set the single game rush. That was one week after Melvin Gordon said it, right? 
Yeah, or like it was very soon after after Melgo yeah. had, had done it. So that was pretty funny. That was that was a fun year, and Zeke was crushing that year. Chubb, Gurley, uh, Sony. Speaking of Zeke, um, mm-hmm. I think he is going to be a riser in the ADP. Uh, I, I think McBride could be uh, as well, but it, it, as far as those really late round guys, people are uh, a lot of these drafts seem to think that Elliott might not be on a team, but. I, I was watching some of his tape from last year the other day, and I think his demise has been greatly overstated. I mean, for a guy ah. who was playing through an MCL and a PCL the, the last two years, he looks fine. I mean, it's he's he's going to play for someone, and if he lands, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where. Granted, I don't I don't have a great idea of where he could play exactly, but I would maybe the Bengals, maybe the maybe even like the the Dolphins or something like that. Uh, Tampa, Mm -hmm. yeah. There's Tampa's running back depth chart sucks. I am not picking Rashad White by the way. That he's he's probably a good backup or something, but that's all that he is. And I've seen people take him really high, and I don't think that's going to work out for them. No, I I don't either. But but back to Zeke. Um, where is he going right now? And and, um, you know, Uh, how high could it go? I I guess he's he's about a landing spot. Um. 170 is where he is. And I feel like I see, I think he's going to keep falling. Uh, I, I think in the draft that I, so I just did the draft this morning and, and like McBride, I wanted to take Ezekiel Elliott, but I couldn't cause I already took five running backs earlier than that. So um, I, I, I want to say he fell further than that and was more like in um, something like the 16th round. Like uh, I almost thought about breaking the five running back rule that I imposed on myself. Cause I was like, this is, this is stupid. He shouldn't be going this late. He could go someplace like the Rams, maybe. I don't know. Even, maybe even some... I don't know. I, I, I guess it's pointless to speculate, but I, I think as long as Elliot is on a team, his ADP will go up because he can play still. There's, there's no question in my mind. Maybe he's not like a top 30 running back, but he's definitely a top 41. And the, unless mm-hmm. he has unreal, un, you know, unrealistic contract demands, someone will sign him. Yeah, it, it it will happen. So as it stands right now, like you said, he he's someone that you can get in the late fifteenth uh, round. Um, you know, like guys going in that neighborhood. We're talking about Jeff Wilson, Michael Carter, Ty J Spears, uh, Jerome Ford. F- Ford's a little bit buzzy, I've noticed. Cleveland um, might sign Elliot, and don't get me wrong, that wouldn't be like the best for Elliot. But it, it's like if Chubb were to miss time, Elliot would pretty much you know smash at that at price, and he. I don't granted I'm not I'm not trying to count out Ford. I'm not saying don't pick Ford, but that just kind of seems weird to me. I th- or Corderell Patterson, the Browns could try to trade for something like that. Uh I don't trust Ford to be their running back too. Okay, that that seems to be the entire theory behind him getting drafted at this point is just like, well, yeah. Nick Chubb is is just one man and they didn't bring back uh Kareem Hunt therefore and they didn't draft anybody, so it but like, I guess it's just a little bit of tea leaf reading. Um, you know, Ford. There's guys hanging out there still. It's like Fournette, yeah. Elliott. That there's there's just uh, there's some shoe that has to drop. It's just we don't know when, but we know it probably will at some point. And Ford to me is like you know number one candidate to get the rough end of of whatever that is. Yeah, th- that's a good point. So I think I, I got a couple shares. I think I'll I'll press pause. Uh, He's got a shot, though. I mean, I, I I like Ford certainly better. Like he played ahead of Brian Robinson at Alabama. He's he's not some bum or anything. It's just uh, they didn't let him play hardly last year, and it, it would be um, it would be weird to have so much faith in him now when they wouldn't give him the ball three months ago or whatever. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very good point. Um, 
last one, this is a, um, it, I'm not expecting him to be a riser and he's not even getting drafted in most of these drafts, especially now uh, that they're 18 rounds. Um, but looking at the, at the Rams receiver depth chart, obviously you got Cooper cup and you got Van Jefferson, uh, who I, I think I need to change my tune on him a little he's bit. He's going for, way for higher year. too. He was going um, in like the 20th round Van Jefferson. And I think he's in something like the 13th now after the draft. Yeah, if it, as long as he's healthy, I think he should be fine. I think that offense should bounce back pre- pretty significantly this year. But do you think there's a chance that Puka Nakua takes the wide receiver three role? And w- would that even mean anything uh, for is as it, far is as is it Nakua? Fans? I've been I've been saying Nakua like an idiot all this uh, time. Yeah, Nakua. That makes more sense. Uh, good good rhyme flow. Uh, good good aesthetic uh, name. Very in that pronunciation. He's a tough one for me. I I can see what they were fixating on, though. It's those Robert Woods plays, those like kind of carry targets, the the Mm -hmm. he's doing like a running in motion, gets the uh, jet sweep and it counts as a target and a catch. Nakua Nakua did that all the time at BYU. It was was like maybe the thing like 24 carries last year, I think. Yeah. And I would bet some of the targets for him were were basically like handoffs too. And I don't know what the, I don't know if it's like the line of scrimmage or what exactly the, the technical distinction is there, but he had so many plays where they were basically just kind of like getting him moving horizontally and trying to just kind of toss the ball to him. And I don't even have a good understanding of why it worked. It did though. His production, uh, both at Washington and BYU was pretty consistently good, but he just got hurt all the time. Yeah. And, and, um, that's that's a little concerning, but if he, you know, if he's on the depth chart at a certain point, you, you can't you can't like fade Nakua in um whatever one of the last rounds, uh, just because he could get hurt. It's like he could also play all year, so it's it's something to think about given how barren how how incredibly mismanaged their depth chart is. Uh, I will say it's like even more than the injury concerns. My greatest concern with Nakua is that the Rams wanted him at all. Like they, uh. <laughs> they are so bad at scouting. It is just unreal. So, uh, but then again, you know, the, 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 whatever the broken clock thing uh, applies. And if they're at the very least, he's so much more useful to an offense than Skowronek. I mean, like, my God, it's, it's a, uh, it, even if Nakua is bad, it's still a huge upgrade over Skowronek. So I think there's some real slack there. And that's even before, you consider that both Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson have injury concerns with their knees. So, uh, yeah, Nakua could work out if he stays healthy. I, I will say his athletic testing was bizarrely bad. Uh, yeah, I, I thought he would. I thought he would be a pretty good athletic tester because he was like a high four star recruit or something like that. And usually yes. those guys test pretty well, and his, his production was good. So yeah, it's a. I, I I'm at, I'm I'm puzzled with him a little bit because I can't even really f- get a good feel for why he was as good as he was, but he definitely was good at both BYU and Washington. Yeah. And he, I've had my eye on him, you know, since uh, his, his signing day, like he, he was a big time uh, recruit when Washington uh, was, yeah. was pretty hot with, with that. He did good um, early there years too. Ago. Like he, uh, mm-hmm. he played a little bit early for them and he had a couple good games in each of those two years there, but just got hurt immediately both times. Yeah. He was um, as, as the guy that, that handles the college football stuff now, like, uh, he was a headache uh, f- oh, on God. game day last year. Like uh, so much misinformation. It's like, yeah, he he's going to play. And then, you know, like 20 minutes before the game, he's not here. BYU is uh, like putting a, a purple scarecrow out at practice and be mm-hmm. like, we think it's him. He appears to be in full uniform. Wow. He looks good. 
um, yeah, that I don't miss that part of uh, running the college football section. Oh uh, boy, yeah, it's uh, yeah, only a couple months away. Back back to that grind. Um, but I think uh, we, once we t- touch on Apuka Nakua, um, I think that that's a good sign that we we've uh, we've uh, mined awful. this vein uh, mm-hmm. just plenty for for this episode. So, sir. Welcome back. Glad to have you back. Um, Glad to be back, man. I missed doing the show with you. It feels natural. You know, right right back to it. Um, But that's going to do it for us here at the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, presented by our friends over at Circa, Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.